Welcome to My Morning Cup, a podcast produced by Costa Media Advisors, a strategic communications company. My Morning Cup, where we have interesting conversations with genuine people. I'm Mike Costa, your host. My guest this week is Felicia Jackson. Felicia is the inventor of CPR wrap. Her story is not as simple as a good idea. It is one of a lifetime of working hard and wanting more for her family that led her to go all in on this life-saving device. Felicia, welcome to My Morning Cup. Before we talk about what it's like to pitch Steve Case of Rise of the Rest and the Walton family of Walmart, let me ask, what's in your morning cup? Right now, I'm drinking some amazing Costa coffee, but (laughs) normally, if I'm a good girl and I had a great, great day, I take a tall iced caramel macchiato with five extra pumps of vanilla, and I am good to go. Sounds like heaven. Oh, it is. It's wonderful. Well, you know my wife, and uh, she likes her coffee flavored to the point to where the spoon doesn't fall. If that's in the middle, and I know she'll be listening to this, and she'll probably yell at me later, but that's the way she likes it. Sometimes you got to have it that way. Well, I'm so glad you're here. I know quite a bit about your story because uh, you and Susie work together, but not necessarily the audience understands CPR rap. So before we get into the backstory, just explain what CPR rap is, and then we'll revisit that once we get up to that. All right. Sounds great. Well, CPR rap is a very simple CPR product that allows anybody to perform CPR effectively and efficiently. What it has is it has a one-way valve mouth barrier for rescue breathing, visual hand placement, so it shows you exactly where to do compressions, and simple CPR instructions that are embossed right on top of the wrap, so you do not forget the steps to CPR. So it's almost foolproof. Foolproof. It's a CPR template. A CPR template. I like that. And just real quick before we uh, go back to the backstory, this idea, it wasn't necessarily what came to you, but an event spurred it. Talk about that just a little bit. Yes, yes, yes. Um, In 2002, uh, my baby, I have three children, two girls and one boy, and my youngest, he was two at the time. uh, We were on a family outing, driving to anywhere just to have a wonderful day. And they call me the helicopter mom. I'm always checking on my children. And this particular time, I look back at my baby and I noticed that he was crying, but nothing was coming out. So I knew something was wrong. I worked in a hospital for 10 years, actually in the emergency room. And I screamed to my husband, pull over, Robert, pull over. And we got to the side of the road and we both jump out of the car. He runs to our son's car seat, takes him out of the car seat, hands him to me. I knew, should have known what to do. But when I looked in my baby's eyes and I knew that, you know, he was, we call it circling the drain, you know, he was going into unconsciousness. uh, I completely forgot my CPR training because I should have initiated CPR. Is that because you kind of fell into the role of a mother more than a Healthcare professional? Yes, you never know. You know, when something like that's going to happen, uh, you're going to fight, flight, or freeze. I froze. Um, and my husband saw that I was panicking, took our baby from my hands, and, and saved his life that day. That's amazing. And we're going to get back to the product itself, but you got a great backstory, too, because you did not wake up when you were getting out of high school or college and say, hey, I think I want to be an inventor. <laughs> so, so let's talk about your backstory. You Born and raised in Chattanooga or grew up here? Grew up here all my life. I'm the youngest girl of three boys. Oh, that had to be fun. Oh, it was. I mean, we're all innovators. You know, one would destroy my dolls, (laughs) but the other one would show me how to put it back together. So, I mean, it was a happy balance. (laughs) So they were surgeons. (laughs) Pretty much. 
Oh, that's great. <laughs> and you went to Kirkman? I did. Kirkman, who's no longer there. But, you know, that was a trade school. You know, when I graduated from Kirkman, I had uh, my certification as a nursing assistant, which was great. I really missed that school. And trade schools like Kirkman have really been in the news lately with, I I know, County Mayor Womp's really pushing that. What was your experience there and what did you get out of that that you felt was such a great advantage to take you on to the next step of your career? Right. I mean, I mean, during that time, who really knows what they want to do? I mean, you were all really searching, you know, for what we want to do in life. And being a 16 year old or a 17 year old, I graduated when I was 17. You know, I still wanted to be a ballerina. I mean, who knew? I could not become that uh, which what I wanted to be. But going to Kirkman, it taught me discipline. It really opened my eyes that I did want to be a caretaker and to graduate high school and have a trade to be out there and go out there and work. Not everybody is meant to go to college. You know, not everyone is college material. I tried it three times. I finally (laughs) succeeded, got my degree as physical therapist assistant. But in the beginning, I did not know what I wanted to do with my life. And Kirkman kind of put me in that direction. Well, talk about that decade between when you graduated from Kirkman with your nursing assistant degree and when you got your physical therapy assistant degree at about age 30. So you got 10 years in there where, if I remember correctly from some of the stuff I read, You even thought about joining the Marines. (laughs) I did. I did. With a mind like mine, you feel like you can literally do anything. And that's the thing. I tried to do any and everything. But I graduated high school and got a four-year scholarship for UTC. And I wanted to stay on campus, but my mom did not want me to. She wanted me to live at home, wanted to save money. And because of that, I was so upset with her. I said, I'm not going to college. I'm going to join the military. (laughs) Passed the test. And the Marines, I wanted to be a Marine. Can you believe that? And they actually came to my parents' house. And my mom took one look at them. And I can't say this on air, but it made them turn around and leave. You know, I I was not a Marine that day. I ended up going back to college. They weren't taking her baby to the Marines, were they? Oh, not on her dime. No, no. Uh, She wanted me to go to college, and I didn't want that. I mean, I really didn't know what I want, but it was my way of getting back at my mom, but I was really doing disservice to myself. Yeah, so you're at UTC, and talk a little bit about how you found yourself that decade. Oh, my goodness. It was crazy. Yeah, I'm still going to UTC. I did not know what I wanted to do. Still trying to search and try to figure out what I wanted to do. I wanted to be a psychiatrist. You know, I'm always talking to people. People are always talking to me. I'm thinking that's a great fit. But life happens. I ended up dropping out of college. I got pregnant with my first child, my daughter, when I was 19 years old, dropped out of school and started working. But I didn't want to give up on college. So I went back to college. I did it probably four times, you know, off and on working because this time, you know, I had a child. Yeah. You know, so I had to work and my life was spiraling. You know, I knew I had to make a decision. I didn't want to continue to make minimum wage. I wanted to not live on government assistance. And I knew my baby, you know, they're going to grow up. You know, they tend to emulate what you're doing. They see what you're doing. And I wanted something better for my family. And that's when I decided eventually I was older, but I eventually went back to college at age 30. I had three children and I finished. I finished, got my degree in physical therapy assisting. And that was my life. You know, you'd mentioned that you got your degree at 30, and that sounds like, oh, my, I waited till I was 30 to get my degree. But, you know, today with something like 
the Tennessee Reconnect program that the two-year colleges have, I think there's a lot more people who who had to put that dream kind of at the side and are now revisiting it. So, I mean, kudos to you. That's perseverance. It's perseverance. I think I got an award for it. Oh, did you? (laughs) I did. Chattanooga State, I did. Oh, that's fabulous. Um, So you're a physical therapy assistant. How long were you doing that before the idea came for CPR rap? Right. So I was doing that for 10 years. I practiced for 10 years, but I had the idea previously. Some people know this about me. I'm not only an innovator, but I'm a big time procrastinator, or should I say I was. (laughs) And I had the idea for CPR rap some years after it happened to my son, but I sat on it. You know, life happened. You know, I just couldn't do anything with it. And I always say things happen when it's time for it to happen. And it just was not time yet. So I tell this story too. I actually had a dream after what happened with my baby. Uh, I keep a book by the side of my bed. And I actually had a dream of someone that went into cardiac arrest. They were laying in the street. People were giving them CPR. And I honed in on this item that was on top of the victim. I wake up, trace what I saw on the top of that person. And, and that was the beginning of CPR rap. But I sat on it, procrastination reared this ugly head again. And, you know, I was about taking care of my family. So I swept it under the rug. So you had the idea, but in a dream, it vividly came to you. And because I have very vivid dreams, but I get up and I say to my wife every morning, I had the most vivid dream last night. I don't remember a damn thing about it. (laughs) Right. Right. That's why you have to keep a book next to you. Yeah. I rarely remember my dreams, but that time that I, I remember just for that moment enough for me to write it down. And, and I think those dreams, your dreams, I think they tell you things. I mean, you just have to listen to them and, and be more aware. And that's what I was going to say. Does that tell you that there's something more to this than just a dream, whether it's divine intervention, whether it's something that's just been in the recess of your mind that bubbled up that said it's time? Yeah, I truly believe that. You know, people tell me all the time, I I had the same idea. I thought about this. It's like, well, you didn't execute on it. <laughs> you know, you didn't move on it. I did. I had a dream about it. So I feel like it was meant for me to do this. That's a great point because you're right. People look at ideas and go, yeah, I thought of that 10 years ago. Well, you know, you sat on it for 10 years, buddy, and, and I've made something out of it. Right, right. So you have that and you sketch it down. What do you do next? Uh, well, the old Felicia, after I sketched it down, um, I looked at it and sat on it for a few more years. But thank goodness I'm surrounded by some amazing people. When I was working at the hospital, anytime I come up with an idea, I always ask because I'm surrounded by industry experts, uh, doctors, therapists, respiratory therapists. And, you know, I tell them I had an idea and, you know, they say, oh, this is great. Or they'll, they'll give me some um, information on how to make it better. But specifically, um, Alexis, I'm pretty sure a lot of people in Chattanooga know AJ, a.k.a. AJ. Uh, she was a facilitator with uh, Launch Chattanooga. But um, we were in a book club together, and I'm around some amazing, amazing women. And I always tell them about my inventions. And I told them about CPR rap during the time, and it was like, you have got to do this. You've got to move forward with this. And AJ invited me to her class at Launch of Chattanooga. And that was the first time I ever been introduced to other entrepreneurs. You know, I did not want to be an entrepreneur, but that day, that was my first introduction. So... 
you had the idea, but you said you didn't want to be an entrepreneur. And what I'm trying to get at there, it wasn't until you got around other people that had kind of the same thought process and also an organization to say, here are the steps you need to take. How important was that? Oh, that was truly important because, look, I have three children and I'm newly married. And that was my life. Yeah. You know, I did not want no one in my family ever owned their own company. I didn't have a business degree. I did not know what I was doing. You know, I knew I had an amazing product that needed to get out there, but that was it. Mass reproduction, patents, what is that? Almost had to be like a foreign language. A very foreign language. I mean, I did not know. Bookkeeping, you know, I mean, these are things that, you know, normally, you know, I grew up in the 70s and the 80s to a parents that worked their nine to five. I didn't have a college education uh, at the time. We were not taught things of that sort, how to, you know, manage money, uh, definitely not how to build a company. We were taught to work hard, pay for your bills and go to school, try to get a good, great education and live a happy life. And that was about it. And this isn't a commercial for launch, but what I like about what they do is they provide that institutional knowledge that you may not, or or someone who signs up for the class may not have had growing up because much like you, their parents weren't entrepreneurs. They worked a nine to five, all those things that some people grow up in an atmosphere of, well, obviously we start businesses and we do it like this. And it's, it's a challenge. It's a challenge. Yeah. And launch, I love them because they targeted uh, the underserved communities, you know, yeah. the communities that didn't not know. I didn't know entrepreneurship existed. I didn't know that that could be my life because people that looked like me, it, it just wasn't there, you know, when I was growing up. Even inventors, innovators, you know, they talk about Madam C.J. Walker or other ones that were in the 1800s. Yeah. You know, what about the people that are more current? You just didn't know about innovators uh, that look like me. So I didn't think that I could do it. But uh, being exposed to launch, it just built that foundation, you know, that I needed, you know, made me feel that I could do it. Even if I wasn't ready yet, they made me believe that I could do anything. And they gave us the tools to do it. So you go through the launch program and, and you've got a great idea. And the first thing you do is you're going to quit your job and dedicate yourself to this 100 <laughs> percent. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. That was my mindset. And that's exactly <laughs> what I did eventually. Is it? <laughs> yeah, that's a bad thing. Um, you know, I'm working an amazing job, making some amazing money. But then uh, I'm going to launch during the evening times and I'm just trying to just balance everything I wanted to do because I knew I wanted to get this product out. And then when I decided I wanted to go all in, I did quit my job, but I didn't tell my husband. And that's a oh, bad wow. thing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Yes. Please do not do as I did. Well, walk through that. That's got to be a great story. Oh, it's a crazy story. Yes. Uh, so when I graduated launch, I had my first prototype and I knew that I wanted to mass produce them. Then I got into CoLab Accelerator Program. From there, it was like, you have a great product. Who's your target market? Can you make money from this? And then when I figured out that I could and more people wanted to do it, it's like, okay, I've got to go all in. I love everything about helping people, you know, at the hospital, physical therapy. That was going to be my, my job, you know, what I want to do for the rest of my life. But I couldn't stop thinking about CPR rap. Yeah. You know, I have this amazing product. No one can do this better than I. No one truly understands what I want to do. I have to make a decision. I need to be all in. And by the way, I was watching Shark Tank. And so, <laughs> you know, what did they tell you? You're not really, you know, all in. You know, you need to quit your job and, you know, do all this. So... 
I quit my job. I didn't discuss it with my husband. And two weeks in, I'm thinking, okay, he's going to know, you know, the bank account's not the way it used to be. I need to fess up. And I did. And he was like, okay, I'm behind you 100%. You know, just have to tighten our strings. Yeah. I feel like you have to have, you know, if you're married and you have family behind you, they have to be 100% behind you. What did that do to your confidence when he said, okay, I understand. Do you know what? I'm with you a thousand percent. You go do this. Yeah. Now the real work begins. It's like, okay, so he's on this journey with me. I'm taken away from my family. You know, they're used to two incomes and it got pretty bad. It got pretty bad before it got good. That is a challenge. And how many years did that take? I mean, what period of time are we talking Uh, We're talking about five, uh, I guess after I came up with the concept, I'll say about three years, three years of just pure, I don't know if I can say hell. I mean, it was, was, we'll say hell. Yeah, it was (laughs) bad. It was really bad. We lost our cars, almost lost our home. And during the most tumultuous times in my life was when a group, and I now know it was a group of doctors came in and. They were going to be our saving grace. And they offered me $1.2 million for 80% of my company at the lowest time of my life. But I turned them down. How did you resist that? Because you've got the idea, you're committed to it a thousand percent, but it's obviously affecting, at the time, your family's well-being. How do you turn that down? That was the hardest thing that I had to do. And they brought the money. Oh, gosh. They brought it with them. In a suitcase? Oh, in a suitcase. It was a check. (laughs) That would have been harder to turn down. I know. Suitcase number one, number two, yeah. Yeah, really? Deal or no deal? Deal or no deal. It was a no deal. And what solidified that for me to turn that money down were two people that I trusted the most during that time, um, Marco Perez and Christina Montague. They were two of my mentors and advisors. And- So I'm sitting at the table and we're at a restaurant and I'm looking at this money and I'm thinking this could change my life. You know, this could save my family. Yeah. Yeah. We were almost (laughs) almost homeless because of something that I wanted to do. And that killed me. But I excused myself from the table, went to the restroom and I made those phone calls and they didn't tell me to take the money and they didn't tell me not to. But they said, Felicia, remember your why. And if they are willing to give you this money right now for a concept, mm-hmm. imagine what your company is worth down the line. What great advice. Yeah. I got to tell this little side story when you came in today. So I'm in my office and next to my office is um, Sirius Healthcare and Gideon Thomas. And Felicia walks into the lobby and you would have thought Elvis showed up. <laughs> Just your reputation among people who are trying to build their businesses and the respect you command. And Gideon's been on the podcast also. But to hear her say, I'm so glad to see you. You are kicking butt. And, you know, to her point, you know, you turned down the $1.1 million, but you've been to Rise of the Rest. You got the 2023 Tory Birch Fellowship, the 2023 Entrepreneurista 100 Award, the 2023 Black Homage Award, the 2022 Forbes Next 1000 Award. And it goes on and on and on. What's all that mean to you? Oh, my goodness. It means hard work. (laughs) (laughs) It means determination. You know, we go through this journey sometimes with blinders on. And and right now, you know, I'm looking at the mission, you know, and our mission is to empower every man, woman and child to save a life and to be saved. We have a purpose. When you're driven by purpose, all of this other stuff is, is noise. It's great. 
you know, to get the recognition. It's great. But my goal is to save lives at the end of the day and create a blueprint of others that are coming behind me. You know, yes, you're going to fail. Yes, you're not going to get the money that you need. Yes, you're not going to get that investment. But think about all these other successes that are coming from the failures. Think about how you're getting up after you've been knocked down two, three, five hundred times uh, and just keeping keeping at the good work, you know, just doing it. And people see that. And if I'm that type of person that they say and they're rooting you on and, and they see themselves through me, then I'm doing what I need to do. That's a great perspective. I, I want you to talk a little bit about the growth period there or that unsure period in your kids and kind of where it brings them today. Because you talked about leading through example, and it's not necessarily all those awards, but it's people seeing how you handle that. So that tough time in there, what did that mean to your family that you stayed focused and basically, lack of better description, you were able to pull this off? I know, I know, I know. Uh, like I said, you never know who's watching you, but I know that my children are always rooting for me. You know, they're there, they're crying with me when things don't go my way. Uh, they're laughing and, and celebrating with me when it does, you know, and it makes all the difference in the world because, you know, I don't care. And I tell people, yeah, I'm the inventor. I'm the founder. It started with me, but you can't do this alone. There's no such thing as uh, building a company or a successful company on your own. You have to have people around you to help root you on, to help talk you off the cliff, which I've had <laughs> so many times, uh, made that phone call and, and just say, I'm done. I'm done with this. You know, you just have to, because we're human. You know, we're, I'm not superhuman. You know, I'm a human person with a big goal, big missions that feel like that, you know, I can do anything. I can change the world. And to have my family behind me means everything. You know, everything that's happened to me is a chapter. It's not the full story. It's not the mm -hmm. end of the story. These are just chapters. And I'm trying to make these the best chapters that I can. And as you've grown, have you had to take on partners to get the manufacturing done or anything like that? Where does that stand now? Do you have a group of uh, investors and partners? I do. I do. Yeah, in the very beginning, you no, know, it was hard. You know, Chattanooga is a logistics slash tech town. And, you know, here I am with a medical product. Uh, so it was kind of hard getting the investment that I needed. And I'll tell people, not all money is good money. You really do have to wait and, and make strategic decisions. And, you know, I've made bad ones, but I made some real great ones too. We'll expand on that a little bit. Not all money is good money. And I go back to the, the doctor's investment, not that they were bad money, but it was not the right decision for you at the time, but talk about it. Not all money is good money. Right. Exactly. So, um, so you have to really think about, you know, your goals and what you want for your company, because the goals that we've set right now with CPR wrap, they're totally different from the goals when we were one to two years in. Uh, one to two years in, we were all about production, you know, getting the money to get product mass reproduced. And I did not take into consideration how much money I needed. You know, I thought I needed, I'll just say $20,000. So in all actuality, I probably needed $100,000, yeah. you know, to get that price point the way I needed. So you were undershooting oh, your, by thousands, your need. Yeah. By thousands. Um, but then when you have someone to say, hi, I'm willing to give you what you ask for, knowing that you need more, you know, uh, it's it, it was very hard. So, you know, you take this money and then you figure out, hey, I need a whole lot more. I'm going to have to dilute my equity, you know, to get what I really needed. And then you dilute so much, you've lost your company. 
So this is very much a passion now. It went from an idea that started with, you know, an event with your son. And as it's developed, it's not a job. It's a passion. You've got a passion to get this product out there in everyone's hands to save lives. I do. And CPR wrap was used to save two lives. Uh, and so we're waiting to save millions more. And just kind of walk through how that works. Someone has some kind of event and they're on the floor. And if they have a CPR wrap, what do you do with it? Right. So you just take it out of the package. It takes a few seconds, drape it on top of the victim, align the visuals to the person's body and just do exactly what it tells you to do. So it's showing you where to do the chest compressions and, and how many and that kind of thing. and Everything, the depth, you know, you know, how many inches to push down, how many reps. I mean, because it's all different compared and there's three sizes. There's adult, there's child and there's infant. And all of the directions are different. And if you don't do this day in and day out, you will not remember. Yeah, particularly when it's a panic situation. Oh, really? I really have a funny story. Um, in the very beginning, I was pitching to Delta Airlines pre-COVID. And um, they had just finished a CPR training for their employees. And I'm walking around with my CPR wrap template and my mannequin. And I talked to them. They said, oh, we just finished taking CPR training. And I said, really? Show me what you learned. <laughs> he could not remember anything. They just finished training. Yeah. I said, wait a minute, drape CPR wrap on top of the mannequin. And he did all the steps. There's your commercial right there. There you go. And I got that contract with Delta Airlines. Did you really? But COVID hit, they lost 90% of their revenue. Yeah. We have to revisit that. So where are you now in terms of the company? And mentioned Delta Airlines, but you've obviously had success with others. I know one big one you had, you mentioned to me overseas. Can you talk about any of that? Yes, um, we're still negotiating. I had to sign an NDA. I can't give you particulars, but yeah, we are negotiating a two million unit. Wow, that's nice. Really, really nice, really nice. And who are you targeting? I tell people wherever there's human lives, <laughs> there should be a CPR wrap, right? You know, it's funny because they tell you on Shark Tank, your product or service can't be for everyone. But, well, you, know, I, you know, I can say mine truly is for everyone, you know, that because we're not only targeting school systems, we're targeting new parents. We're targeting construction companies, you know, any place where there can be a sudden cardiac arrest incident, there needs to be a CPR wrap, along with the AED, first aid kits, everywhere. Have you had to build a sales organization yourself, or is that still what you do mostly? That's how uh, I, I always tell people, I'm not a salesperson, but I had to be corrected because no one can sell your product or service like you can. Uh, so I'm still the main salesperson, but I do have other people that I bring in, mm -hmm. uh, one of my manufacturers, who's also uh, one of my shareholders, uh, they actually brought in a salesperson for me as well. So to help with the international contracts. So go back to when you had the idea, when it started and where you are now. How could you have imagined those were the things you would need in how to build that? Isn't that the real challenge for a lot of entrepreneurs? It really is. It's a big challenge because I tend to stay in my lane and I delegate the things that I don't know to people that know how to do it better than I. That's good leadership. Yeah, I, but I had to learn that because, you know, this is my baby. Yeah. You know, and I always felt nobody can do what I can do better. Well, you were handing your child to someone that you really didn't know. Exactly, exactly. And I had to learn to be okay with that. I really did. But, you know, it's all a learning process. You know, I don't care if you're two years in or 30 years in. 
there's always going to be something to learn. There's always going to be someone that does it better than you. You know, you just have to want to take it to the next level. And I do for CPR rap. I know there's going to be a day where I will not be in the driver's seat. And I may have to, I'm going to have to pass the reins off to someone that can get it to where it needs to go. And I'm okay with that now. Was there a turning point that switched in your mind that said, okay, I'm okay with that because you were overwhelmed or anything, or, or you learned to trust that people understood and got your product? What was that turning point for you? 2019. <laughs> you even have the date. I love it. <laughs> yeah, it was in 2019. I was at Techstars and I was in Austin, Texas. I was around some amazing mentors and advisors. And I remember telling her, I couldn't even call. When I introduced myself, it was like, hi, I'm Felicia Jackson. I'm the inventor of CPR rap. I couldn't even say I was CEO because I didn't believe that I was. I didn't believe in myself. You know, I just didn't have that, you know, that um, that belief system that I was the right person to drive this company. Uh, but after talking with them and them reassuring me and going through some things and them taking me through situations and opening my eyes, because don't forget, I had blinders on. I was yeah. just seeing this one big picture. But when I took those blinders off, you know, I'm thinking, hey, you did this. You were able to do this. Okay, you have that failure, but you have to celebrate your successes. You are a bad individual, and I'm not bad in a bad sense, no. like in a great sense. Yeah. You know, you are doing it. And so, you know, take that and take those celebrations and, and just know that you're doing the best that you can and just keep it moving. I'm so glad you said that because my perception is so many people do exactly what you say. They, they, they start a business or they're even in a role working for someone else but they haven't accepted the fact that they're good at that role or should be in that role. There's, there's a lot of uh, imposter syndrome going on. Yeah. Big time, big time. But you have to think, and you hear this a lot. A lot of people, they, they don't know what to do. There's no crystal ball. You know, there's books that tell you how to run a business, but that's their business. There's no one that has done a started a company like CPR rap. There's no one that's done serious health, you know, like Gideon's company. You know, there's other companies that may be similar to it, but my journey is my journey. And what worked for this company might not work for mine. You know, so we're all going through this learning process, you know, and it's great. If we fail, that's great because I'm going to learn from that failure. You know, I may not learn right away, but I'm going to learn and I'm going to pivot. And that's my life. You know, that's my life right now doing it. And if it don't work, Quit fast, stop fast, and then start something new. You know, you need to write a book. I am. I'm writing one, Chronicles of a Female Founder. Oh, that's fabulous. Yeah, thank you. But, um, hey, procrastination is rearing its ugly head again, so we'll see how it goes. But you got more chapters to write, too, you know, to make the book complete. You brought up something in, in talking about how it's individualized to you. One of the things that always frustrated me over the years in business and management training and sales training, you go to whatever conference room and there's a trainer there and they've got their system. And so many people write it down verbatim and they come out and they try and do it verbatim. It's more like picking the best of everything and adapting it to your style. And it sounds like you've done a great job of that. Yeah, you have to. I mean, there's, um, it's just, you know, and I'm sitting back and I'm looking at my life. It's all surreal. You know, I'm sitting here and I'm talking to you and I'm looking at my life and I'm thinking, how many more years do I have to be on this earth, to do this, to get to do? And, I, and that's one thing I stopped saying, I have to do this. 
I get yeah. to do this. I get to live this life. I get to travel to all of these amazing places, to meet all these amazing people that I would have never done in my life if I would not have made the decision to become an entrepreneur, to take a chance on myself, to bet on me. Best bet you can make. I'm so glad you brought up some of the things you've got to do because before we wrap up, I got a couple more questions for you. But you've pitched Shark Tank. You've been Rise of the Rest. You've made all these incredible connections. Talk about some of those, like the TEDx talk you did and, and stuff like that because I think that's something people look at and go, okay, how does all that come about and what did you get out of that? Oh, in the very beginning, I was always saying yes because I was a you said FOMO fear of missing out mm -hmm. I always feared like if I wasn't going to be in the room I'm going to miss out on the next big gig or a partnership and so I always said yes so if I'm at a networking event and that's how the TEDx started I'm at a networking event and some students at Baylor saw me pitch and it was like we want you to do a TEDx and it was like okay sure I didn't even know what a TEDx was. <laughs> you just said yes. I said, yes. You want me? Sure. I know that feeling. Right? <laughs> and so I Google TEDx. And I'm thinking, did I just say yes to this? And, um, and I'm terrified. And I, that was my first pitch. Is your personality or your previous personality to be outgoing or were you, you more? Yeah, that was a huge deal for me. And I wish I could have went back. Then it was like, oh, maybe I should, you know, get sick or tell them I can't do it. <laughs> oh, no, 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 no. But the more I started talking to people about it, they were excited. Do you know, I'm trying to apply for TEDx and, you know, I can't get on. And someone asked you to be a TEDx speaker. And it was like, OK, well, I guess I better follow through. And I did. And I'm glad I did. That was the best, one of the best decisions I've ever made. Of all those things you've done, the pitches you made, like to Steve Case, the, the Shark Tank stuff, the TEDx, two questions. What's been your favorite and what's been the one you got the most mileage out of? And by mileage, I, I mean, really made a difference in not necessarily your sales, but took you to another level in your business. That would definitely have to be the Steve case. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. That was a pitch I didn't even want to be in. I mean, be, simply because. Sounds like you didn't want to be in any form. I didn't. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Introvert. Don't forget. <laughs> Introverted procrastinator. Oh, but yeah, I did not want to do it. And that was the imposter syndrome coming in. I didn't feel like I deserved to be on stage with the other amazing businesses. And it was so many other, other companies that were on board and making tons of money. I wasn't making any, but Steve K said that he wanted to come to the little diamonds in the rough that were not in Silicon Valley, were not in Baltimore, New York, come to these small towns and give us a chance. You know, and I pitched my heart out. You know, I remember crying on stage right before uh, we were to go live to pitch because I I was terrified and I ran off the stage. And uh, Stuart, one of the guys that they brought in from, I think he's from London, uh, to come help us pitch. He ran out and got me and, you know, he brought me back. He prayed with me. And I remember getting on the stage and I lost myself. I don't even remember what I said. I remember looking out into the crowd and it was people standing, giving me a standing ovation. I didn't win that day, but somebody came up to me and they asked if I could do 30,000 units for them. Wow. 30,000. I hadn't even sold 100. You know, Felicia, you won that day. I did win that day. I was able to go to Bentonville, Arkansas. I was able to meet the Waltons. All of that. 
because I said yes and I took a chance. I didn't win the pitch competition, but I won something much better. Well, and then that's such an important point. You talk about fear of missing out. Yeah, there's a reason to say yes because there's fear of missing out. But when you say no to things, that possible connection could be there. So you said, no, I don't want to pitch Rise of the Rest. Never would have made the Walton connection. Never would have had those things. And it, it really is, you really have to say yes to a lot of things, particularly starting out. A couple more questions, and I should have probably uh, asked you this a little bit earlier, but I'm curious about how Chattanooga's been accepting, but the challenge for you being a minority female in business and how much more difficult that makes it for success. There's not an equal playing field. And I know people, uh, they know, you know, some people may feel like it is, but there's not an equal playing field. I mean, there are some people, and I've experienced it firsthand. I have stories that would blow your mind. Um, there are some people that will not put my product on the shelves because of who I am. You know, there are some people that will not buy my product because of who I am. I had one mentor, supposed to be a mentor, and he thought he was saying, giving me great advice. But, you know, I was told that I should change the face of my company to a white person. Really? Yes. So I can get more sales. He said, CPR Rap should be a multi-million dollar company by now. Change the face of your company. Take yourself out of it and you will get more sales. And I know companies that are minority owned that you wouldn't know that a minority person owns them because they did just that so they can get more sales. How do you respond to that? At the time, I smiled. I was in shock because it was someone, one that I knew that said that to me. I didn't say anything at the time. But as the years went by, it was like I should have said this. But uh, I didn't say anything to him at that time. Uh, it hurt. Yeah. But it made me stronger. And it was like, no, I am the face of this company. And if that person does not want to buy my product because of the color of my skin or my gender, then they're not my target market anyway. You know, they're not the person I want to buy my product anyway. It was a similar choice to say no, like the doctors would 1.2 million. Not that they were uh, saying the same thing, but... Basically, he's dangling this carrot out there that says, you know what, if you take your identity out of this, you'll make millions. And that's really a, a question for you and who you are in saying, well, wait a second, I'm more than just money. This project, this CPR rap is more than just money. It is. I mean, it's, I always say CPR rap is me. I am CPR rap. And people are looking at me not as just a, a black female entrepreneur, I'm the first in my family to do this. It's important to be the first, you know, and to succeed. Because like I said, other people are looking yeah. at my journey, you know, to emulate, to say, hey, if she can do it, I know I can do it. It's great to be out there and, and have people visualize and see you succeed. But being the first also comes with a responsibility and could even say a burden. Yeah. You know, because it's probably driven you to keep going because you felt that responsibility, I would imagine. It has, even to the detriment to my health. Yeah. Uh, where I felt like I had to keep going and I neglected. And I always tell people, uh, <laughs> I make my health part of my KPI. That's smart. Yeah. When I look at all the analytics of my business and I say my sales channel, you know, who I want to do this, I want to be 30% more in my revenue. And I say, I want to be 100% more in my health. 
you know, because you're driving this company. And if you are run yourself ragged, you know, to where you're mentally unstable, you know, or you unhealthy, you're not going to build a successful business. You know, you got to take care of yourself. And what good are you to anyone? None. Well, you, you've got a great story and history and you've learned a lot over the years. So I'm going to ask you the last question I ask on this podcast. What would you tell your 25 year old self is important for a happy life? Oh my goodness. My 25 year old self. I would say Felicia, trust in yourself. Never let fear dictate what you want to do and love live and laugh you only have one life do it well i can't say it any better than that thank you for being here thank you for having me thanks for listening to my morning cup a podcast by costa media advisors if you like this episode please share it with a friend I release a new episode each week, so be sure to subscribe on Spotify, Apple, Google, or wherever you listen to podcasts.